Good morning, First Church. It is a joy to be with you today. I want to invite you to go ahead and join with me in a word of prayer as then we get ready to explore and jump into God's word together. Let's pray. Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For a number of weeks now, we have been in a sermon series exploring God's love on the move. And we've been walking through the book of Acts, looking at how God's love was moving then and what we can learn from that time to understand how God's love can move among us now. And one of the things I personally have really been enjoying about this particular series is how applicable it is and how relevant it is to our life. So recently, you might remember we were exploring what does it mean to have courage in God's world, in the world in which we find ourselves, knowing that all of us struggle with fear and anxiety at different places in our lives. Well, similarly, as we come together this morning, I think we're exploring another very relevant topic. And so to help us to start to think about that, I'm gonna put this statement out there, and it's gonna completely shock you here this morning, I know, but here's the statement I wanna just throw out there. You ready? Christians are not perfect. <laughs> Shocking, right? Like, I know you had no idea about that. Christians are not perfect people. Now, you know that, and I know that, and the Bible definitely knows that. I love the Bible for many reasons. I love the truth that it conveys. I love the words of life that it offers. I love the grace that is shared through Scripture, through the life of Jesus Christ. One of the other things I really like about the Bible, though, as well, is it does not smooth over rough edges. It does not smooth over the messiness in our lives as human beings. The Bible is so real. And the Bible is filled with so much messiness. In fact, if you get a chance sometime, just glance through some of the books in Scripture. Go back to the Old Testament, maybe some books you don't read all that often, but look at the book of Judges, skim through the books of First and Second Kings, even skim through the second half of the book of Genesis, the very first book in Scripture. And when you do that, you are going to see all kinds of messiness. You're going to see human beings doing awful things in chaotic places, involved in all kinds of levels of messiness. And yet here's one of the great, amazing, wonderful, I would say miraculous things about God. God moves in the midst of the messiness. God moves in spite of us and our messiness to allow God's kingdom to still be advanced. Because here's the truth. We Christians, even as we love Jesus and wanna follow Jesus, Christians are not immune to messiness in our lives. I wish that wasn't the case. Wouldn't it be great? I love it in the book of Acts earlier, chapter 4, verse 32. You might remember there's a phrase. It says, all of God's people were of one heart and one mind. Wouldn't it be great if immediately after that phrase of being of one heart and one mind, it said, forever after, or happily ever after? Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear God's people of one heart and one mind and they lived in harmony and together and in a perfect way and with no messiness forever and ever and ever. I wish that it said that, but it doesn't. So the reality is we live into messiness 
even as we are followers of Jesus Christ. It would be wonderful to think there's no messiness in the church. It would be wonderful to think as soon as we become Christians, there's no more messiness in our lives at all. It just doesn't work that way. Which is what I want us to be thinking about now as we come to the scripture focus that we're gonna look at here this morning in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, at first glance, it's not one of those passages we are immediately drawn to. And the reason for that is essentially Acts chapter 15 is a long theological debate. And I have to be careful because even as I say to you right now, long theological debate, many of us might be tempted to tune out because for many of us, long theological debate equates to boring or not relevant. Now, not all of us, some of us love that kind of stuff, but for many of us, we have no interest in engaging or exploring a long theological debate. But here's what's interesting about Acts chapter 15 this morning. It's one of the first places where we find a significant disagreement, not between Christians and the rest of the world, but between Christians and other Christians. So I'm just gonna confess for us up front here this morning, the reality of this is that it's hard and it is messy. For any of us involved in any level of messiness, there's a sense of grief that can come with that because it's just not easy. And it would be easier for us to ignore the messiness, which is what many of us often try to do. But when we, when we ignore the messiness and we choose to turn a blind eye to it, nothing ever gets resolved. So this morning, what I want to ask us to do, and again, I think this is so relevant, is what do you do when things get messy? What do you do even with other Christians, people in the church, when things get messy? How is it that we are called to respond? That's what we're going to find going on here in Scripture this morning. But above all, what I want us to understand is that even though messiness can be hard, and even if messiness weighs heavy on our hearts, please never forget this. Even through the messiness, God still moves. Look at the Old Testament, look at the New Testament, look at the church today. Even in spite of our messiness, God still moves. There's an author named Sky Jathani, and he says this. Now, he's talking about the chaos and the messiness that we're going through right now in this pandemic season. But I want you to hear this, and you can just as easily put the words messiness into this quote from him. He says this. He says, the complexity and chaos we are experiencing is meant to drive us back to dependence on Christ and shatter false trust we've put in our systems, our structures, and our institutions. I love that thought. He says the complexity and chaos that we're experiencing is meant to drive us back to dependence on Christ. We could just as easily to say any messiness that we go through in our lives, any chaotic elements that we go through in our lives, anytime we encounter those, they should drive us back to dependence on Jesus. This is why I love Romans 8.28. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. And it reminds us no matter what's going on, God has this amazing ability to bring good out of any situation that we're going through. So no matter what messiness we might be in, no matter what chaotic situation we might be in, if it drives us back to depending on Jesus, we can trust God is gonna use it to bring forth good and even foster and further the kingdom of God. We're gonna see that here this morning in the book of Acts chapter 15. 
Now, as we start to dive into this, here's the big issue of debate. Are you ready? This is what they're arguing over. This is what they're not sure about. This is what there's lots of tension over. The issue <laughs> is circumcision. Now, if there was ever an odd, weird, awkward topic to have divisiveness over, surely this has to be it. But I'm not kidding you. Look what it says with me in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Certain people came from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This then brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So lots of disagreement. Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to then see the apostles and elders about this question. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you and I. We might be like, circumcision, what's the big deal? I want to caution us today not to judge these early Christians. Just because we don't fully understand it or just because something like circumcision may not seem like a big deal to us, let's be really careful not to judge these early Christians and simply say it's not a big deal. In fact, I want to ask us today to do the best we can to put ourselves in their shoes so we can understand their context and what they were dealing with and how then that might apply to our lives here today. Now, first of all, remember, for the early Jewish Christians, they were still Jews. They were still people who followed the Old Testament law. And specifically, they followed the laws found in the Levitical Code. So if you get a chance sometime, glance through the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And there you're going to see all kinds of strange things that you and I may not fully understand today. In fact, every time when you go through that book, what you'll start to discover is that they had to do extreme things to stay clean. So if they ate the wrong thing, or if they touched the wrong thing, or they wore the wrong thing, they had to go to extreme elements in order to, again, be considered clean. They'd have to leave camp for a bunch of days. They would have to go through extensive rituals. They'd do all kinds of things that, again, on the surface, you and I would look at those things, and we would say, that's so extreme. Why do they have to do all of that? But for the early Jewish Christians, that would have been their only understanding of how to faithfully follow God. It wouldn't be so different from today. You and I, it's so important that when we share in communion, the Lord's meal, we say things like, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you. We know what that means because we are followers in the faith of Jesus Christ. And it's central to who we are in our faith in Christ. But can you imagine to an outsider how strange the language is to say something like body of Christ broken for you, eat it, blood of Christ shed for you, drink it? That's kind of what's happening here. Except now what is starting to happen is it's not just that there's Jewish Christians, there's now Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, who are also starting to become Christians. And they're trying to figure out, how do we faithfully follow Jesus? How do we faithfully live into the faith tradition? And here's what was happening. As the Gentiles, many of them were becoming Christians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was saying, in welcoming Christ into your life, 
you no longer need to follow all of these rituals and all of these extended laws from the Old Testament because Jesus is the one who will make you clean. So you don't have to do all the extended cleansing rituals again of the Old Testament. And so because Paul was not forcing that on them, it was causing a crisis of faith for the Jewish Christians because they couldn't fathom living into the faith tradition without following those laws, even when Jesus was in the picture. So the issue that's really at hand here this morning is do the new people, the Gentiles, do they have to live into the Levitical law or not? And what Paul is saying is this. Once you welcome Jesus into your life, Jesus will be the one through his blood to cleanse you forever. And you now do not have to do these other things that were defined in the Old Testament in order to have your sins, your mistakes wiped away. And this was the heart of the debate because here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, was different than any other religion. Any other religion gives good advice, gives helpful information, gives uh, rituals to follow, but not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about helpful information or advice. It's about good news. We receive through grace and acceptance in Jesus Christ, through God's grace, our sins, our uncleanliness is wiped away. Look what it says with me here this morning, Acts chapter 15, verse 11. Here we have Peter speaking, saying, no, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So the question here is, what do you need to do? to be faithful in following Jesus Christ here this morning. And the central issue is circumcision. Again, if you look in the Old Testament, there's some really weird rules. Things like dipping your finger in blood seven times, things like slaughtering bulls and sprinkling the blood around an altar, things like only eating certain animals with a particular hoof, uh, things like uh, you know, eating or burning a hide of an animal in a certain way, like all these weird things. But the one that might most sound most odd to all of us is this idea of circumcision. But circumcision was the central element for the Jewish Christians that was a mark of your identity and you belonging to the community of believers. And so for them, they couldn't even fathom being a Christian or in the faith tradition without circumcision also occurring. And now Paul's like, no. Once you accept Christ, Christ is the one, Christ is the mark of your identity in this new community, not circumcision. So this is a really, really big deal because it's an issue of identity. And forevermore after this time for Christians is to be circumcised, the distinguishing mark or one of them, or what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? And we've got to decide because for future followers, we want to be in agreement about what does it mean to fully identify as a follower of Christ? And therefore, what do you earthly, in an earthly way, need to do or not need to do? And here's what's made me most amazing of all in this. It's not just Paul who's saying this. Peter, who also grew up proclaiming that faithfulness needed as a Jew and what that means, gets to a place where he himself says, it's the grace, it's not the law. One more time, verse 11. No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they 
are. Here even is Peter saying, we have always said Jews are separated from Gentiles, the rest of the world, and they're going to live in a certain way and follow these certain laws. And one of the ways that we distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world is living into these, uh, these rituals. And now even Paul, uh, Peter is saying, no, it is the grace that brings us into community. This is so hard for the Jewish people to get their minds around because it's unlike anything they'd ever heard prior to this point. And you know, it reminds me, all of us have a tendency to think that our way is the best. So for the Jewish Christians, they were used to their way and living into the rituals and they thought this is what's best. Are you and I really any different? One of the reasons we have so much trouble around and so much messiness around politics is we think whatever our mindset on politics is, is the right one. One of the reasons we have so much issue around racism is because whatever our race is, we humans in our humanists just tend to drift into it being the right one. We, we make a shift in our mind from being different to being better, whatever our understanding is. It's just what we do. We all do that, and the Jewish Christians are doing that here as well. So this issue of circumcision is a really, really big deal. This is why tensions were so high. It's not just the issue of circumcision, it's the issue of what it means in finding your identity in this community of faith. So keeping that in mind, look with me here in verses three through five, and this is almost comical what we see here. It says, the church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and told the Gentiles how they'd been converted. This news made all the believers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, listen to what's happening in this passage. On the one hand, the believers are super excited that there have been converts to the faith. And they're literally like, yes, there's more people coming into the faith. That's what we want. But then at the very end of this passage, we also hear, great, we welcome them in. But in welcoming them now, welcoming them in, you now have to become like us. They too must be circumcised or required to keep the law the way we think it should be done. And again, is that any different than us? There's many of us, and I've seen this so often in church world, we want the church to grow. We want there to be other people among us. And yet one of the very first things that we say is come into the faith, but do it in the way that I'm used to. Come into the faith, but live it the way I do. Come into the faith, but be like me. And if we're not careful, we'll still carry that same mindset today. We say we want everyone to know Jesus, and I believe we do. But we often want them to love Jesus with the same musical style, or wearing the same things that I do, or worshiping in the same way that I do, whether that's in person on a Sunday morning, or online, or home worship, or whatever it may be. If we are not careful, we too, like the early Jewish Christians, can say, we want everyone to know Jesus, but you've got to do it my way. Might God in this pandemic season once again be cracking open our, our own hearts of what worship means and what it means to live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ? So they've got to figure that out. That's the question that's going on here. And then we get to the heart of the matter in verses 6 through 11. The apostles and elders met to answer this question, and after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know 
that some time ago, God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these Gentiles a yoke that neither we or our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. This is a phenomenal statement by Peter. Those who heard it, their mouths had to have dropped open. Here was Peter, a faithful Jew, saying, we should not be imposing our rituals on them. That is not the definition of what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is in the love of Jesus Christ, accepting the grace he gives us, and it's through Christ and his blood our sins are wiped away. So let's not burden them with all the things that we in the Jewish Christian faith have been doing. I imagine those words even always got caught in Peter's throat. It was that significant. So here's this conflict around circumcision. Do we need it as part of identity in Christ or not? And this is the source of the tension. This is the source of the messiness. So how did the early followers then address the messiness? We're given a clear example here this morning. First of all, they met face to face. Look what it says in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas along with some other believers, went up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. They got together face to face. That's a really big deal. Especially in this time, it was dangerous to travel. It was expensive to travel. They didn't even have Zoom. One of the things you and I can do is when we have a messy situation with somebody else, go meet them face to face. There's something so different about looking into the eyes of a human being who has feelings and emotions and thoughts and gets hurt and celebrates life just like we do. It's so easy in today's world to sit at a keyboard and fire off to look at a screen but not look into the eyes of somebody with whom we have disagreement and messiness. It's so much easier to talk behind somebody's back or to tear them down when we're in a messy situation than sit down face to face. But that's not what we see here with Peter and Paul and Barnabas. In the midst of this dispute, they met face to face. Are we willing to do that? Second, we also see that these apostles chose to move forward with a humble spirit. I love this verse because I think it's so unique that we find here in scripture today. Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. <laughs> it's almost humorous, hilarious actually. Here's Paul and Barnabas and Peter, giants of the faith, and the best they can say is, it seemed good to us. Now, granted, they do it in confirmation with the Holy Spirit, but look what they're saying. This is our best attempt, guess, in correspondence with the Holy Spirit to move forward. There's an element, a posture of humility there. 
What would it look like for us to not feel like we have to know exactly the right answer and then defend it to the nth degree? What if we too were able to say with others, it seems this way to me as I've thought and prayed about it and here's why. And then if we discover this is not the best way, we're open to change as the Holy Spirit leads us. Might it also seem good to us and the Holy Spirit? What would, kind of, what would that kind of humble posture do in the midst of messiness that we have? And then finally, we see this in the scripture this morning. We see a focus on points of agreement in light of the primary goal, the big picture. So verse 29, what is that they're agreeing to? After all this debate, meeting face-to-face, a humble posture, here's ultimately what they say are the anchor points. So you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. And then I love it. Farewell. That's the end. That's how it finishes. Sounds like a really weird list for you and I today, but for these folks, they said, here's how you can start to live in a way that's different enough from non-Christians that people will recognize you are a Christian. Just these four things. Avoid four things. Food sacrificed to idols, blood, meat of strangled animals, and avoid sexual immorality. Do those things, and that's enough. What does that look like for us today? To recognize in light of the big picture, the elements we can agree on, instead of being focused on what tears us apart. Right now, we live in a messy world, church. And I wanna invite you right now, I'm sure this is even hard to think of, who in your life right now are you experiencing messiness with? And as you think about that, which of the three steps we've just identified do you feel like in prayer with God, you most need to commit to? Do you need to A, meet face to face with that person, B, move forward in a posture of humility, or C, keep the big picture in mind and focus on what you can agree on rather than what you do not agree upon. I wanna invite you even right now to feel free to go ahead and put that in our chat this morning or wherever you may be, just as a way of saying, God, this is what I'm gonna commit to today. In this messiness, I will meet with that person face to face, or I will move forward more in a posture of humility or I will focus more on what we can agree on rather than what we disagree on. Church, I think this is so important for this reason. I think that right now we have an epidemic going on, particularly in the Christian world. We don't know how to deal with messiness. The only thing that we know to do is to try to be nice. Can I tell you, Jesus was never nice. Jesus was kind. He shared truth in love. But to be nice is to avoid what's really going on. To be nice is to be artificially polite. To be nice is really not to care much about another person because you just want to avoid the conflict. But when we avoid conflict, here's what begins to happen. We brush it under the rug or we become passive aggressive or we let tension just continue to build or we gossip about that person when we're not face to face with them. In short, we create a toxic, poisonous environment because we want to be nice in the face of messiness rather than kind. In church, it's a really big problem for us. So today I want to ask us, 
whatever messiness we're in or whomever we feel and experience messiness with right now, one more time, will we love them enough to meet face to face? Will we love them enough to move forward in a posture of humility? Will we choose to focus on what we agree on in light of the gospel big picture kingdom? Or will we choose to be nice and just try to keep brushing it away? and in the process, sacrificing the advancement of the kingdom of God. Know this, church. This God moves in spite of us, in spite of our messiness. If you look in Acts chapter 8, there was messy persecution, and yet ultimately the kingdom spread. If you look in Acts chapter 10, you see the messiness of Peter's worldview shattered and yet the gospel was advanced. If you look later on than what we did this morning in Acts chapter 15, you'll see the messiness in the split between Paul and Barnabas. And even in spite of that messiness, God advanced the kingdom. So today, church, no matter what messiness we're going through, may we commit through the power of the Holy Spirit, not to avoid the messiness, but in kindness address it face to face in humility focusing on God's big, 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 big picture. And if we're willing to do that, God's love will continue to be on the move among us. May we, as the people of God, know and trust that God moves among us and in spite of us, even in our messiest places, to advance and share God's love in our world. Let us be a people joining God with God's love on the move.